Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, this is Strength to Strength. Uh, welcome everyone here to the call this morning. The purpose of Strength to Strength is to assist the church in earnestly contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And this morning, we are um, anticipating uh, having a brother share with us about some of the needs uh, in, in the Middle East. And as we all know, um, two weeks ago, there was a horrendous attack on the Israel, Israeli settlements by Hamas. And that was two weeks ago. And uh, there's been much bloodshed since then, much pain. And the whole world has felt um, has felt that um, the the web of these attacks, the web of these of these um, of these deaths, um, have has really impacted uh, our world. And this morning, uh, as Christ followers, uh, we're here to to think about how can we how can we think about this? Um, what is the proper framework to to think about these things? Um, and we, and our goal with this call, um, the goal that Brother Stephen has is to really help us to understand that these are people. They're not just statistics. And, uh, in our world, uh, we, um, we, we hear so much. There's so much information that comes at us and we, we can forget that these deaths, um, are mothers, our children, our sons, our daughters, uh, of, 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 of people. Um, and also, of course, we know too that the, there's this part of the world is, is, um, the Middle East has been a hotbed for, for many years. And there's also lots of theological, um, arguments around this part of the world. Obviously, for us as Christ followers, this is where many of the stories of the Bible happen. Um, so much of the whole storyline of scripture happened right here, um, in the Middle, Middle East right here in Palestine. And so our hearts are naturally drawn there. It's the story of the Bible. And how do those of us um, who live um, in the new covenant, how do we think about all these things? How do we think about the nation of Israel, uh, the current nation of Israel? These are, these are questions that um, are pretty hot topics. But one of the things that, that here at Strength of Strength, we really want to make clear um, is that, um, we want this talk this morning to focus on, on the people, whether it's Israelis or whether it's Palestinians. We don't think that, um, we think that God cares deeply about each one and desires that all men will be saved, that all men will come to the knowledge of truth. He's not willing that any would perish. And um, that's really, really our, our desire here this morning. I was just reading, um, in Galatians this morning. I just want to read a couple couple of verses here out of Galatians 3:28. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are one, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. And so, as strength to strength, we don't take up the belief of dispensationalism, of, 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 of the belief of God working on two fronts uh, with the, the nation of Israel, 
and with the church. We, we believe that we're in the new covenant, that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the old covenant, and today he is working with those who call themselves Christ, who have been baptized, um, whose sins have been cleansed, um, and who are living uh, and according to his teachings. And so that's, so when we wanted to say that up front here, um, that we really, um, we, we do care deeply, uh, that the church, particularly in the West, for those of us who can so quickly get aligned with powers, with, with a powerful Western countries, uh, for those of us who, um, we, we tend to be influenced, um, by some of the conservative Christianity that's around us that, that really thinks that the United States, um, should align themselves with the powers uh, of, of, of Israel, um, and, and other powers that are, their allies in the Middle East. And so this morning, this is not about, um, somehow, um, building up that, that belief at all. We really want to expose it as an error, um, and help us to think in ways that are in alignment with, with scripture. Um, James, the, um, James says this, pure and undefiled religion. Uh, pure, undefiled religion, uh, religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep uh, oneself unspotted from the world. And to keep oneself un- unspotted from the world, um, can the world, can um, the, the powers of our day uh, um uh, affect us? Can they in, influence us? And, and, and the answer is absolutely yes, they can. And so, um, we, we, we hope that through this call here today, this morning, that, um, they can help us be unspotted from the world and its powers. Um, so, uh, thank you for joining us here this morning. I, we just ask that you would pray with us as we go through this call. Um, there's many touchy situations. It's very complex, as you will see as Stephen talks. And so I, I pray that you would pray for Stephen uh, and the others. Uh, there's only very few true kingdom Christians um, in that part of the world, whether it's in on the Israeli side or whether it's in, in the Palestinians. Uh, very, very few. Um, and and our prayer is that, that God would use these true followers there um, to be his hands and feet um, in this time. So let's just bow our heads for prayer before we get started. Father, we, we come to you. In the name of Jesus, the one who came and walked among us, the one who walked these lands that we'll be looking at here right shortly. And Father, we know that he brought a new and living way. Father, we know that he wept over Jerusalem. He wept when he saw the temple and how um, sin had, had taken over that place, how it was the rich lording over the poor, people um, we're, we're taking advantage of, we're exploiting, uh, those who were coming, the pilgrims who were coming to, to worship the temple. And Father, we know that today, this, these same issues and struggles are there in that part of the world, that people are people, that nations are nations. We're, we're not here to somehow imagine that the majority of people should relate as Christians in this part of the world. But Father, our heart this morning is that through this call, that the true Christians, whether here or whether there, would be encouraged to continue to follow in the upside down ways of the Messiah. That we would have a heart that in the face of evil, 
um, is willing to absorb evil as your son did, and even is willing to absorb evil in the horrific death that your son experienced on the cross. And so, Father, we know that um, the gospel is, is foolishness to the world. And so, Father, uh, renew our minds. Uh, renew our hearts this morning. Father, give us a heart that weeps for the pain that's here in this part of the world, for to think of, of, of losses uh, on whether on the Palestinian side, the horrific um, lives they've had to, to live uh, under suppression by by overruling governments and even uh, ideologies uh, within their own midst that have brought so much pain. Uh, and Father, uh, be near to the ones who are who, who, who experienced horrific death at the hands of Hamas uh, two weeks ago, Father, and and are still many are are, are just are, are obviously don't even know where their loved ones are. And so, Father, I pray, Father, that as as followers of Jesus, our hearts could could um, be soft, that we could realize that there's so much pain, that we can know how to pray, that we can know how to support those. The, the Christians that are there um, striving to be your hands and feet. So, Father, pray a special blessing on Stephen and his family. Uh, we know that uh, they've chosen to stay there uh, while others are leaving and have chosen to they want to be your hands and feet. And so, Father, I pray a special blessing on Stephen as he shared with us this morning, um, as he um, kind of gives us a, some of the understanding of what's happening on the ground there. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Stephen, you can unmute um, your phone there. And uh, so obviously uh, we're, we're, we are being careful here this morning uh, due to security reasons. Um, your part of the world it has so much conflict in it and, and there's lots of danger there. And so uh, the last thing that we want to do over here is put you in danger. And so, um, so that's why uh, we're we're not using your real name, and um, we have your camera off. But yeah, thanks for being willing to join us um, here. I, I met with Stephen earlier this week, and while we were meeting, uh, it was late at night there. Uh, while we were meeting, um, he was interrupted several times with uh, his wife, uh, giving him some updates on some of the things that were happening right in the West Bay, which is right right close to where they live, and and riots and things like that. And so they live in a, in, in a very hotly contested part of the world where, uh, where feelings are running high. And so, um, but so thank you for, for coming on here this morning and, and being willing to, to share with us. So Stephen, just if, if you can give us a little bit, um, about who you are, your, your, uh, just for the callers here. Um, Stephen is a Anabaptist brother from the U.S. serving there with an organization. So, but yeah, tell us a little, bit, a little about your 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 history, kind of, and how you landed um, landed there in in, in Israel. Um, yeah, so there's nothing like uh, extremely special about it. We answered a call to uh, a need for somebody to fill the position I'm in. So we've been here two years now. Um, prior to this, I've worked in other parts of the world where predominant religion is Islam and uh, that would be where my work is that's what it would predominantly be as well um, here or that's predominantly who I'm working with um, 
Yeah, and uh, my family's here with me. Um, for boys, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what you all what you all want for an introduction there, but we've been here two years planning. If uh, I mean the idea is that we'll be here another three, but you know, Lord knows what the next three will bring. So see how that works mm-hmm. out. Actually, sure. Yeah. Can you hear um, me? Okay? Can you hear me okay? Or yep, can hear you really well. Stephen, yep. thank you. Um, so give us a little bit, we'll, we'll jump into some, I'll pop the map up here right shortly. We can kind of talk about, um, some of the, the context that you're working in and kind of help people understand some of the geography there. Um, you know, we hear about these places all the time, but sometimes, you know, a lot of us probably have never been there. And, and so just looking at some, some of the geography and some of the, the layout can help us understand you know, the current situation and, and also uh, where you work and things like that. But um, give us uh, just a little bit uh, of, of what, an overview uh, of the last of the last you know two two weeks. Um, how has it affected you? You know what was happening in, in the days before this Hamas um, did this attack, and then kind of how has it affected you? Affected you there? So uh, two weeks ago, Saturdays when. Uh, I think they say about between 6 and 6.30 in the morning is when the Hamas first attacked. Um, that was the final day for the Jewish uh, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, um, Sukkot. I'm not sure if you're familiar with any of those three names, but Old Testament feast. And uh, it was the final day of it. It's... Um, yeah, so in many ways, it was the week prior to that, just packed with people in Jerusalem. People come from all over the world. Even uh, even many Christians actually come during that time. They even have a peace march through Jerusalem, the Christians do. Um, but just, I, I don't even know how many people they say were, were in town for that week. Uh, and mainly in Jerusalem, I'm sure there's probably some in other parts visiting family as well, but the majority of those people are coming to Jerusalem. And, uh, yeah, then Saturday's attack happened, um, on, uh, the Sabbath here. So Sabbath is certain, it's different in different areas of the country, but, in, in Jewish areas of the country, there's usually not um, public transportation and everything's real, real quiet. Uh, people are staying home, you know, they're, they're resting on the Sabbath. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the setting for this, when this attack happened, coming off of the holiday and on the day of rest. So, you know, the preparedness level of, of uh, people for it was not uh, there. It wasn't there. They weren't expecting it. Um, and then in the next week, everybody, pretty much everybody that was able to, uh, um, you know, that had come in for the event had, had left. Um, streets were, somebody told me they're emptier than when COVID happened, which they actually had a pretty serious mm-hmm. lockdown during COVID here where you couldn't you couldn't go anywhere for a while so just night and day difference 
most people aren't going out of their house. That and a lot of it was fear, um, because and that's continued now, even into this second week. It's probably lessened some, but I would say the fear, a lot of it, a lot of it being, you know, Jerusalem is a mixed, mixed city. I'm not sure on the demographics exactly, but there are a lot of half of it is basically half of it is Arab. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there can be a lot of tension in communities that, you know, Arab communities that border Jewish communities. And, and so everybody is staying home just to try to not get caught up in something basically. Um, so yeah, that's what the last two weeks have been like here. Um, the West Bank then, where where I predominantly work, is uh, <clears throat> they military came in with a big front end loader and they uh, took big rock piles and dirt piles and piled up all the roads, um, leaving the Arab the Arab areas of the West Bank, um, and uh, I. I would say that was basically just a control measure to try to eliminate more issues than what they were already dealing with in Gaza. And basically that is, that's basically shut down the amount of, of my prior work that I'm able to continue doing at this point, just because of the access in and out of uh, a lot of the places we were visiting isn't, at this point it's not available. Um, hoping that that opens back up soon somewhat, but, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so, um, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll get some, we'll, we'll look, look at the geography here and you can kind of unpack and kind of get into a little more of your, you know, some of the things that are happening there and some of the history behind some of these dynamics. Um, but, you know, we hear about, um, all the, the rockets coming in, coming into Israel. Um, out of out of Gaza, and and uh, ha- has that affected you there in in Jerusalem? Like like what does that what does that look like for for you as a family? Um, yeah, where you live. So um, the IDF has a pretty good rocket alert app. Um, so we basically when one comes leaves Gaza, they pinpoint its trajectory where they're expecting it to land. And uh, then that app will alert the people in that area. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm getting messages from my wife here, just checking to make sure that everything's fine. Um, and so... Fine. Uh, go ahead, go ahead uh, and answer her. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> they're, they're helping a friend pick olives right now, and I just... I'm away a little bit from there so I could get better reception and I'll head back there when I'm done. But I, I just want to make sure nobody falling out of the tree or, you know, something like that. <laughs> so, uh, the rocket alert app, um, does pretty well and it warns the various areas. So it'll say South Jerusalem, West Jerusalem, East Jerusalem, whatever, or, you know, other, the other areas all throughout Israel. Um, the times that it has alerted our particular area, the times it has alerted our particular area, um, Saturday, the first Saturday it did a couple times. Uh, 
I'm getting a bad echo. Is that my problem? Or? Okay. Well, let me, let me just on, let me, I, we, we, we're not able to hear that. Like we're not hearing that here on this end, but okay. I'll, I'll turn my mic off. And when I'm not talking, I think that would help. That'll, that'll probably help. you. Okay. At first I wasn't sure if it was somebody else unmuted or if it was my echo, but it's gone now. So that should work. Fantastic. All right. So, uh, yeah, the first Saturday, the, the alert went, and then they have a siren then that runs in town as well, similar to what you might have a tornado siren in the Midwest. Any of you are used to that or not, but it'd be a similar type. Um, then there was quiet Saturday, the last part of Saturday, Sunday. Monday they went again. Then I think it went a whole week until just this past Monday where they where it went again. And usually they say, the IDF says you should go to your safe room, stay there for, I think it's 10 minutes or something like that. And and it's a good idea, actually. Probably the chances of, of you know, our particular house out of the entire city getting struck by a rocket is pretty slim. But with the Iron Dome shooting the rocket out of the, you know, it's not quite the right terminology, but with it exploding the rocket in the air, uh, there's actually a lot of shrapnel that comes down from that as well. And so that's where a number of your injuries are, are coming from that you'll see. It's just the shrapnel from the rockets. Um, in fact, there in the Lutheran church in Bethlehem had a good, good sized piece of a rocket. Uh, picture I saw it's probably about the size of a basketball, maybe landed in the yard of the Lutheran church on Wednesday this week, I believe it was. So, yeah, when the sirens go, we will all go gather in the safest part of our house. And, um, one meal time that it happened, we sat around the floor and had a meal together. Um, sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, I've never, I've never had to live in, 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 in circumstances like that. And, um, I'm sure it's quite sobering for you. I, I'm sure living in, in, in that type of environment, you can maybe a little better understand what, what many of the Palestinians, uh, are experiencing, uh, whether in Gaza or even West Bank right now. So why don't we go ahead and pop up, um, uh, the, the map, my map here, and we will, uh, look at that. Okay. So can you, can everyone see that? Okay. So, and what about you, Stephen? Are you able to see that? Yep. I. All right. Are are you still experiencing that, that echo? Nope. It, It went away. I don't know where it was, but it's, it's fine now. Fantastic. Okay. So, um, Let's go ahead and, and yeah, so you, you tell me where to point and just go ahead and kind of give us a little understanding where you are, where you serve, where you serve uh, with your organization, um, and then also whatever history you'd like to look to share here at the beginning. Yeah, so maybe I'll uh, I'll start with this, maybe give a little bit of terminology so that as I talk, it, it makes sense. You'll see... Both around Gaza, the dotted line, and also uh, 
close to where your arrow is now, there's another dotted line that makes kind of a big, um, I don't know, it's not really an oval because it has the, comes in around Jerusalem there. But, um, so if I refer to Palestine as we're talking here, that's what I would, what I would mean. Uh, the West Bank would be the area you're in now with the arrow. You know, if I use that term or I'll, you know, if I'm differentiating between the West Bank and Gaza, um, everything else that you see there would be, you know, I would term that Israel. Uh, terminology for us, <clears throat> you know, it really doesn't seem that important, but for the people here, it's, it's really important actually what you say, um, because it, it really shows which side you're on, you know, even though I'm not actually, in many ways, I'm not actually taking a side. It really does show which side they, they feel like you must be on this side or that side because of how you say it. So, um, yeah, we live in Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem from 48 to 1948 to 1967 was half of Jerusalem was part of the West Bank. The term West Bank comes from it being on the West Bank of the Jordan River, which, yep, there you go, the dotted line that runs up up along there, separates Jordan, the country of Jordan, where you see Amman. Um, just to the right a little bit of your arrow there. Amman there, that'd be the capital of Jordan. So the West Bank, basically, it, it was Jordan up until from, from uh, 48 until 67. Um, there's a lot of nuance in the history of this land that I, I am not a scholar of the land and uh, they have the history of the land in that sense. So you may hear things, you know, that sound like it contradict whatever, but it's, uh, generally that's, that's what it would have been considered after 67. Then the, all of Jerusalem was annexed to what is Israel now. Even though East Jerusalem, um, you know, the areas of Jerusalem that had been part of Jordan before are still predominantly Arab, predominantly Muslim as well. Uh, even the old city, um, which dates back to, I think they say the walls of the old city are about 500 years old, uh, the current walls. Even that would have been in Jordanian rule, it's my understanding. Um, and so... Yeah, like I said earlier, my work is mostly in the southern part of the West Bank, and uh, yeah, below, basically below Jerusalem. Um, so the rockets coming from Gaza towards Jerusalem. Uh, I think that, I think it's about forty miles uh, as the crow flies, you know, straight across there from Gaza to Jerusalem. Uh, most of the rockets are headed north, actually towards Ashdod, Ashkelon, Tel Aviv, you know, that kind of area. And then closer to Gaza, what they call the Gaza envelope, a certain strip of Israel land around, you know, can't quite read this names there, Ophakim and Spirod, Ashkelon would be Gaza envelope. So predominantly the rockets coming would have been headed to there or straight north. But I think just to show capabilities, sometimes they would, send them towards Jerusalem. In fact, one of them actually hit in an Arab village on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and I believe it hit a mosque. Um, killed a 
at least one person there. I forget the details of it. That was already a week or more ago. But uh, yeah, there's no rhyme or reason. Based, you know, they aim and that's it. It's not like they're guided missiles or anything. Uh, so yeah. What uh, what other questions did you have? Um, and so help people understand about that. Sure, and just maybe just, you can share a little bit too. Like, what do you do with your organization? Like, what is the purpose of, of you there? And and, so, and then also like, what areas does that take you take you into? Like, do you are you working in Jerusalem? Working with you said you know Israelis or Arabs or uh, yeah? What are some of the needs that you're that you're, that you're serving? So we're basically meeting, uh, trying to meet needs of the handicapped, uh, population or disabled population in the southern West Bank. Um, so from where Jerusalem is at on that map, from that point south and rocket, my rocket alerts are going off now hmm. for the, uh, Ashdod area, I think. So, yeah, um, that is, you know, wheelchairs and, and other other handicap equipment help the people who are not able to get around, uh, get around. And the reason for their disability can be many things. Uh, uh, there is a lot of diabetics who are, who have, you know, as, a, as that has progressed, they become amputees. Um there's a lot of children who are born with disabilities. That is primarily due to the Islamic tradition of marrying within the family, you know, marrying cousins, first cousins often. Um, um, yeah, accidents. I mean, we, uh, yeah, basically whatever the need um, for for whatever the reason. Or the mm-hmm. disability, we'll do what we can to help. And and I would say the biggest thing is is it's to help show people that even even this person's life matters. Like we want people to to see the value of other people. And so by us showing that other people matter, uh, we're helping. And and we are seeing that they they do recognize that. They are very, very appreciative of the care that we have for their child or their parent in some cases, you know, in our, in our helping them. So mm-hmm. I guess being hands and feet of Jesus and in specifically in this area of, of uh, disability. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, so obviously, so you're working with Arabs mostly and in, yeah. in these Palestinian areas, a lot of it in the West Bank. Um, you all get over into Gaza as well, some, but, um, what is, what is the, the attitude of, of these people towards you? So here in the West, often, um, depending on what, what news you're, you're intaking, it, it can be, um, they can be portrayed as just, you know, evil people, um, that are just out to, and any Western person or Israeli, they're out to, um, take out. Um, so yeah, how has that been for you serving that in, in those places? Um, 
I can think of one time where in the two, a little over two years we've been here, where I've been concerned, um, you know, about my safety. Like the situation was a little, it was a little tense. Only one time, and that was actually just recently, a few weeks prior to the war, and it was mostly by my own mistake. But once, you know, once things were talked about a little bit, it was cleared up, and it wasn't an issue. So, uh, you know, I haven't, I don't, it's not like I face a lot of aggression towards me because I'm Western or, you know, a lot of hostility. Um, my wife, on the other hand, because, uh, you know, the Mennonites uh, covering, um, okay, for from, from my wife, she wears a, like a white hanging veil. So that tends to look a little bit like a Jewish person. And so she can feel it if she's not with, like, if she's not with me, she said she seems like she gets uh, not so, not so happy stares and things like that. Um, But uh, the, the, the general feeling most people will tell you, most Arabs will tell you, they don't, they don't mind Jewish people. They don't have a problem with Jewish people. They don't like the government and the military because of the oppression they feel from them. So that is definitely, you know, that comes with a little bit of a caveat because you don't actually have Jewish people living in Arab areas that aren't controlled by the, by the military. You know what I mean? Like it's, they're not intermixing in areas that are, our Arab government controlled. And so, you know, I don't know how that would actually work out, but they say that they don't mind Jewish people. They don't like the government and the military. Now, uh, for, yeah, for me though, I haven't, that, that sometimes they'll try to talk to me in Hebrew, which I don't understand. And when they realize I don't understand that, and if they speak enough English, then they'll switch to English, and the situation's fine. They figured out I'm not a uh, term you might be familiar with is settler, Jewish person, you know, trying to settle in the West Bank. Um, they figured out I'm not part of that, and so then you know, they figure I'm here to work with the Arab population, and so they don't mind. Um, the idea, you'll see this a lot in the news, especially in the last two weeks, the idea that all Palestinians are terrorists is, is not, not very accurate. Um, yeah. Sure. And then there's course to, you know, just the, the side where, um, you know, so the oppression that has come from the Israeli government, Obviously, occupying the land, you know, it's not even, you know, it's not even a hundred years since, uh, the Israel uh, has been founded, you know, kind of as a, a nation uh, in that, in that area. Um, and of course, 70, feeling 75 the, this year. 75 okay. Years. 75. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I think in just talking with you, you were mentioning too about some of the deaths that have, that happened you know, just by the Israelis towards the Palestinians that never hit the news. So I, do you mind sharing, yeah. like, just, just in your, in, in Palestine, where you, 
I'm sorry, in the West Bank where you work quite a bit, like in the last year, do you have an, you know, a number of people? I, I think you might have mentioned it earlier. In the last year, I heard someone, I, I don't have this very accurately, but I heard someone say maybe close to 300. But in the okay. last, in the last two weeks since the war started in Gaza, uh, I saw, I forget it was last, I think it was last night, I saw 81 have died here in the West Bank. Um, I, I, I wasn't able to find very good news on this, which is strange because normally, normally, you know, there's, there's a news article that talks about whatever happened, but there has been no articles about this. And I just happened to see that the number said that 81 have died in the West Bank since two weeks ago. So I'm not sure on all the cases, but most of them are, are, uh, uh, how do I say this? Most of them are either from some sort of operation that the military, the Israeli military did. They're looking for someone living in a certain village, and so they'll send a bunch of guys in to arrest them, and they'll get in a firefight with a handful of Arab people. Um, so that's one situation. The other one is sometimes the young, I don't know, the youth guys, say Shabab here, but uh, yeah, they're like 15 to 25. Generally, they might start throwing stones at a, at a military checkpoint that's closed off normal access for the Arab people to go in and out. Um, but they might start throwing stones at them. And then in the, here in the West Bank, the military will, will often respond with live fire. Uh, in Jerusalem, if that happens, usually it's rubber bullets and they'll dispense, disperse the crowd in other ways. But in the West Bank, it's, it's live, live fire. Um, so those are the two cases generally of, of why these people, uh, how these people probably were, were killed. Um, basically out of, out of the hopelessness of their situation. I'm not condoning what they're doing. But out of the hope, this is their their view. Out of the hopelessness of their situation, you know, they're trying to do something to defend themselves, and and uh, sure. yeah, they're they're definitely the the weaker uh, weaker power here. Hmm. Yeah, maybe we'll come back to that and, and talk a little bit more about some of the hopelessness, especially those living over in Gaza as well, and how that contributes to to people uh, becoming quite violent. Um, but, but let, let's just, let's, let's take a little bit of a turn here. So, um, as our listeners would have known here, the ones who was in advertisement, we, we said that we we're going to have a Palestinian Arab Christian on with you, uh, a brother that you work with. Um, so let, let's talk about the Christians there. Maybe talk about Eli- Elijah a little bit and who he is and, 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 and his mentality, um, towards, towards all this. Uh, and also then about the, the very small um, Arab Christians and some of the things they're facing and some of the things they're doing. So go ahead and, 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 and tell yeah. us about that. So uh, 
Elijah is originally from Gaza. Um, it's an amazing story about his leaving. I, I won't do justice to it. Um, I'll, yeah, maybe I have to figure out a time to have him on to talk about just that sometime. You might, sure. might make for a good uh, episode, but, mm-hmm. um, his, basically his coworker was killed by Hamas. And so the organization that he was working for there pulled all of their staff out, um, out of Gaza at that time, about 15 years ago, 16 years ago, maybe I kind of forget something in that time frame. but, uh, he, um, he has some family yet in Gaza, specifically one brother and then more extended family beyond that. And, uh, so his brother it's been, he is safe now. Um, I talked to him this morning and he was doing fine. It's been pretty tense there this morning. Um, that's part of the reason why he chose not to get on the call. He said he just didn't feel like he was personally at a good place right now to so much both emotion and, um, Yeah, with what happened here a couple of days ago, uh, he just didn't wow. feel like he could do it. So two things. A couple of days ago, there was, you may have, uh, let me clear this up first. There was a bombing. It was said it was a bombing that happened at a, at a hospital. This is back at the beginning part of this week. Um, Hamas claimed that it was Israel. Israel showed pretty good proof that it was a failed rocket, actually. And I think I read 30% of the rockets Hamas sends up land within Gaza. They wow. don't get outside of the Gaza envelope. So you have that on top of Israel bombing as well. Um, so I'm not talking about that one, the bombing at the hospital there. This is a totally separate issue. Um, there was a building next to the Orthodox Church, and you can... I mean, you can find all this, these details on many, uh, many, uh, news sites. The building next to the Orthodox Church, I believe, is the one that was targeted. And, uh, there was four to five hundred people staying there at the Orthodox Church because they have left their homes. Um, I, I did find out that some of the Christian families that are there, uh, at the church, their homes were destroyed. They were in an apartment building and, you know, they had no idea. Like they didn't have connections to whatever it was that Israel was thinking, you know, this is a Hamas base or this is a other stuff stored here, whatever the reason it got bombed was. You know, they don't have connections to that. They didn't know anything about it. They're just renting this apartment and they get a, they get a phone call that says your place is going to be bombed. And, 10 minutes and out they go. And so there, I know of three families at least that were their house is gone. Um, and there, yeah, 500 people at the church. So the building next door gets bombed, damages some of the church. I think I saw two different numbers. I saw 16 and then I saw 18 later people from the church there died in that particular uh, bombing and uh, six of the 18 were 
children of Elijah's cousin or his wife's cousin. So they're not his nieces and nephews, but um, whatever that would be related to him exactly, but family yet. Um, so six of the 18 were children, according to his report and the report mm-hmm. he received. So, yeah, that he's fi- finding that a little difficult. And then this morning he got word from his brother that there was a prank call to the Catholic Church. Uh, I may have said his brother was at the Orthodox Church earlier. I, and I, if I did, I said that wrong. Sorry. Elijah's brother is at the Catholic Church with uh, 600 people, I think he told me this morning. Um that have fled their homes and are hoping that they'll be safe there at the church. Excuse me. And so there was a prank call to the Catholic church this morning that it was going to be bombed by Israel, which sent everything into a flurry there for about an hour. Uh, He said things were pretty tense, but I don't, I don't know how they discovered later that it was a, excuse me, that it was a prank, but, um, yeah, I also saw reports that Hamas is pressuring people to stay in the hospitals and the churches and not allowing them to leave because they have, yeah, it's their ideology. They don't mind, you know, the death, death of other people and them using them as human shields and those kinds of things. And so if they keep them there and then somehow you know, one of those places gets bombed, then it looks bad on Israel, in international news. You know, so it's a very, it's a very highly politically charged atmosphere as well in Gaza. I would say that the Christians are, uh, I heard that they're prior to, this war, like the general consensus is there is about 800 Christians there in Gaza. And that is specifically the number that would have Christian in their, in their, on their ID or um, not, not as we would say believers. Many of them would be traditional Christians, either Orthodox or Catholic. But uh, yeah, the percentage of uh, believing um, believers is I'm not a hundred percent sure on that percentage. And it depends there in Gaza. I would say it's closer to probably 5% of the Christians of the 800. Um, that's my understanding anyway from Elijah, but, uh, yeah. So they're Sorry. facing a lot. They're facing a lot right now. They don't have anywhere to go. The three church, four churches that are in Gaza are all in Gaza City, the Orthodox, the Catholic, there's a Baptist church, and an Anglican church. The Anglican church is not operating. There aren't any Anglican people there anymore. But uh, the other three, yeah, there's, um, would be divided up with that 800 people for their attendances. So, um, so Stephen, you're saying there's 800, approximately 800 Christians in Gaza. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Yep. 800 and, Christ, 
population of 2.4 million people. Only eight. And this is registered. I will say this yet. Uh, I know that there are, there have been conversions from the predominant religion of the, of that area, but oftentimes they are not connected into the, um, I don't know what the right term for it is, but the, the, they're not connected into the, like the local church, um, communities for various reasons, security on their own part. And yeah, sure. that's, that's probably not something I want to go too far down that train discussing. But when I say 800 Christians, I'm specifically referring to those that are registered mm-hmm. as being in the Christian population. But there are many more believers, I'm sure, based on testimonies I've heard. But Sure. So, wow. So our, our brothers and sisters there are under incredible pressure facing facing the lion in so on so many angles i i can't imagine what it's like and so um elijah um obviously is 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 um feeling quite under pressure as well and deeply sad and i'm sure uh and, and you mentioned that there were what six of his relatives were killed uh in that in that bombing is that what you say yep Mm-hmm. Well, be sure you tell Elijah that that um, our hearts break for him and his family and for the Christians there uh, in that in that part of the world and 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 just yeah I mean so you have 800 Christians and only a small part of those are are really truly you know wanting to follow Christ and and Elijah would be would be one of those. Uh, and yeah. as, as, as you have interacted with this brother, especially the last two weeks here, and then of course two years, um, how have you seen him relate to these, uh, such incredibly, uh, unfair, um, things? Yeah. So specifically we were discussing the, the war the other day. And, uh, you know, I asked him how he, how he sees this or how does he deal with this? You know, because as Christians, we're called to love our enemies, we're called to love our neighbors ourselves. In this case, I heard it said already, in this case, it's two in one. His neighbor is his enemy in many ways. And, uh, you know, so how does, uh, how does that work out for him? And as we talked, I, I was blessed by the, what he said. He's Palestinian and, you know, the, the whole issue of the land and, and all of that aside, the Palestinian people are very marginalized with how they're dealt with in, here in, in Israel. And he says, that's one side. The other side is he he could never support what Hamas did on Saturday morning. And neither, and obviously neither would I. None of us would condone, I don't think any of us on this call would condone that. 
And uh, so we wanted to make that very clear that it's there are hurts on both sides. Uh, but for for him, he said, I can't take a side. He said, as he was thinking about this, it came to him. He said, when uh, I should pull this verse up, but I'll do my best to quote it here. The angel of the Lord came. Joshua left the camp. The angel of the Lord came near. And uh, Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel, I think it calls it the angel of the Lord. I might, I might have that terminology wrong, but probably, probably Jesus, you know, making himself known in the Old Testament probably is what that, that figure was. Says neither, but as, uh, oh, I really should pull that up. Unless somebody else can finish quoting that for me. Neither, but uh, come in the name of the Lord. But as the commander of the. Yeah, I I think you're paraphrasing it well. Yeah, it's bugging me that I can't think of how it actually said it. Basically, though, he says. He says, my place as a Christian is on neither side of this. Even, even though I'm Palestinian, one, and one would love to see a land that's Palestinian, you know, land and, and the people not be marginalized the way they are. My battle isn't on either side of this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Amazing. That's a true kingdom Christian there. It's, it's so easy for us, you know, no matter, no matter your eschatological view on the land of Israel here and whatever, it's very easy for us to, to just soak up the news that we're getting and, and somehow not see even either side, really not, not to see either side, you know, the other as human, but remembering that we're all created in God's image. All men are created in God's image. Uh, you know, there's people on both sides of this, of this fight. And one, one side is considerably stronger than the other. Mm-hmm. So as, as you have, have lived there and, and kind of soaked in, in the realities on the ground, you know, an, an American um, coming there, you know, kind of being your 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 life being influenced by the West. Um, how how has that has has that changed you at all, Stephen? Yeah, actually, I I don't know. Like I'm, I'm learning something about judging that I never saw before. So judging often when it's used throughout the New Testament, it's uh, just talking about in many ways it can be, it can be brought down to deciding between this or that. But, um, you know, between right or wrong, I mean, but the, the thing that I'm seeing is that many times, you know, I will be, 
before I would have been free to sort of judge in a matter that, you know, I'm not even connected to. And, uh, for example, before coming here, you know, reading about the different wars that were fought in the last 15 years here with Gaza. Um, I don't remember all the years right offhand, 2021, 2018, 2014 were the last three prior to this one. I think there was two more in there um, before 2005 or since 2005. I think there was two more in there. You know, I can, I could very easily somehow I just tended to identify more on the Israeli side and yeah, well, they're, they need to deal with these terrorists and you know, if we'd stop lobbing rockets out of Gaza, they'd stop whatever. But actually it, it's, it goes much deeper it goes much deeper than that after being here, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what word I want to use. Cause I have to be a little bit careful. I, there, people in the West bank do not have freedom of movement many times, even within their, in the West Bank, which is supposed to have been their land. Um, and that's bad, but Gaza was that much worse. It, there's there's a reason most people refer to it as a, oh, the largest open-air prison. It's like six miles by 20 miles, and nobody, Egypt or uh, Israel, it's very difficult to get permits to travel out of either. Um, you know, so there's that, uh, that oppression of that sort often done in the name of security for the state of Israel. But uh, after being here, you know, recognizing that yeah, there's very much an aggressor in this situation. Um, most for the Christians here, most of them, they're even in the West Bank. Most of them, you know, they say, "What well, they don't even, they don't have any hope here." Most hope they have is that they can figure out some way to get relocated outside of the country to Europe or to the states or or Canada and and uh, or get their children to study abroad so that hopefully they could get a job abroad and then maybe that later the parents could come. And, you know, that kind of thing. They, the Christians just have zero hope because they are not, most of them, I would say the majority of them, even the traditional ones um, would not be of the, of the fighting. Um, so I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but say like in, most of them would not be for taking up arms against Israel. And, so here they're stuck, you know, what do they do? Mm -hmm. uh, so the picture, I, I just now I was thinking back over your question. So the picture for me has changed a lot of the situation. Um, you know, the, the orphaned and the widowed, uh, you read the verse in James there, pure and undefiled uh, religion is this. And uh, yeah. I'm seeing that 
in many ways in a little different light than I would have ever really considered it before. Yeah, well, thank you for, for sharing this. Thank you for helping us um, um, see, see that part of the world, you know, through through your uh, through your eyes, and that that's really really helpful for us um, here. And to think too, just this this understanding that there is there's Christian brothers and sisters who who um, in many ways uh, feel rejected by their brothers and sisters in other parts of the world um, and uh, also are, are facing the anger, uh, inc- the, the incredible um, anger of, of, of the of Muslim people around them uh, for following for following Christ. Um, and of course, you have the Jewish side too, where that, that comes in as well. So it's, they're in a very, very difficult place. And I, we're just reading this morning a letter from the Arab churches um, that recently was put up. And one of the things that came through is just this hope they have in Christ. The hope that they have, we find courage and solidarity, solidarity we, we receive from the crucified Christ. And we find hope in the empty tomb. And and, and this, this letter is just full of, 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 of these brothers and sisters just identifying with the sufferings of Christ. And, you know, I just thought of the words here in Acts chapter five, at the end of that, the apostles had been pulled in um, uh, and they were, they were uh, beaten uh, by, um, by the Sanhedrin and, uh, and they went out and it said, and they were commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. And, and they went and it says that they, um, they were rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. And so, wow, may, may these brothers and sisters receive power from on high. And, um, and may you know how to, to minister to people like Elijah and, and be there, uh, there for them. So, um, I might add, if you have a second, I might add one more little plug for Elijah there. He was, uh, his vision is to train and to, and to raise up the next generation to be equipped to stay in the land. Basically to, to show them, you know, that there is hope. Hmm. Uh, like you read from the letter that there is hope in Christ. And uh, his his vision is very much that um, it's it's so f- almost fun to be around him. His uh, how enthusiastic he is about this. You know, everybody else you talk to is uh, doom and gloom, and here's this one, not only one, but here's this one guy that's like the total opposite. So I'm encouraged a lot by the time I spend with him. He uh, yeah, he really wants to see the next generation. You know, he told me since the war started. At least three young couples, I think, from their ch- from his church, they said they're considering moving abroad because you know, the situation is after this isn't going to be any better um, for them probably, and so yeah, they're they're facing that you know every day dwindling numbers. 
Wow. Incredibly discouraging, I'm sure. But, um, that's, that's, that's amazing. And isn't that what, you know, when I, I've been around in, in other parts of the world too with Christians like that, it looks so hopeless, but they have so much hope. And it's not because of their circumstances at all. It's because of Jesus, um, has given them so much hope. And that, that's amazing. Yeah, well, God bless you as you interact with him and um, tell him that we would love to have him on the call this morning, but we totally understand that we're praying for them and that we would love to have him on sometime uh, and, and talk to us about about that. So that's definitely you can put a plug in for that there with him. So I'm going to open it up here. Is there any questions? Is there ready to have a look for seven? Uh, thank you, Stephen, for, for I know you can share for the next hour or two, um, but. We probably should be closing down here in the next 10, 15 minutes. But is there anybody here who has a question? And if you do, please jump right in. Um, of course, consider the security issues as well and, and honor that. So, but yeah, any questions for, for our brother? I just had a question. Um, so do they have many, are there many job opportunities, say in Palestine, West Bank or Gaza? Like are people, you know, you talked, mentioned those who would fight, but are there like other, at least small job opportunities for Palestinians or do they just, or does, is it really hard for them yeah. to find work? So the West Bank is, in that measure is quite a bit different than what Gaza is. Um, in Gaza, it's, it's a little hard to tell. I've seen 40% unemployment rate. Um, I heard someone say the other day that it's closer to 80%. I don't, I don't think it's that high probably, but, uh, yeah. I mean, if you would figure 50% unemployment rate in Gaza, probably aren't far off. Um, so that is, yeah, that's definitely much more of a difficult situation there. Uh, a good, close to half of the population relies on some sort of food aid from either organizations similar to ours or the UN. Um, yeah, and various other, basically humanitarian orgs supplying food. Um, and that is generally done uh, on sort of a rotation of like every four months or something. You might get one from, you might get a food box from the UN. Uh, sometimes they have family abroad that will send some money back. Um, yeah, it's, it's very difficult uh, for citizens in Gaza many times. A lot, for a lot of them, it there's pre-war for a lot of them there's food available but the difficulty is is they don't actually have a steady income to be able to actually like uh, purchase their own things so it's not it's not it it's not that it's a food shortage as much as it's a issue with being involved in the economy because you have no way to be involved so then in the west bank I'm sure there's still a fairly high unemployment rate in the West Bank. Um, 
but it's definitely not that high. And there are a lot of people that are able, even from Gaza, I think I saw the number, there was about 10,000 Gazans that would get jobs in Israel, um, come across and work here. And that's usually a pretty good paying job. And the same in the West Bank. I think the last number I saw was 200, 250,000 or something like that are working in Israel. Um, but that comes with having to go through security in and out. Basically, every day you want to go to work. So. That, uh, I was going to say this, that's part of what lends to the hopelessness of the situation is, uh, you know, just not having, think about it. You're, you're stuck there sitting at home however many days a week because you only have work one day a week and, uh, you can't provide for your family. And, you know, as, you know, as men wanting to provide for our families, it's also, the, what's the word I want, like uh, humiliating almost to be in that place of having to receive aid. So it is, it's a, it's a difficult thing and it's, it's probably only going to be that much worse or getting to be that much worse now with the war. Mm-hmm. Wow, hopeless. Yeah, you can understand if that's a recipe for, for disaster. Um, putting people into that into that situation for sure. Yeah, good question there uh, on that, and thank you, Stephen. And any, any other questions for for him? Stephen, thank you so much for for sharing uh, here this morning. That was um, touching in many ways. Also, it helps us understand um, what it's like to be to be in that that part of the world. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to hear or to to think about as we uh, and ways we can ways we can assist, particularly the church there. That's, that's our heart. Um, how can we assist our brothers and sisters in that part of the world? Um, so definitely praying is probably one of the most important ways to, that you can help. I would say, um, specifically, I, I like Elijah's vision of uh, working with the next generation to not in you know, some people get the land is a big issue here with a lot of people, you know, they want to stay in the land and keep their claim to it and all this stuff. Not, not for that, but for the light, for the light of Christ to be here in the land. Yeah. There needs to be believers here in the land. Right. And so if, they're feeling hopeless and leaving, you know, what, 
what's going to happen. So his vision of, of raising up and, and uh, equipping the next generation of, of believers to stay here in the land and to bring hope to people. Um, definitely pray for that. Pray for him specifically as a, as a leader in his community. Um, yeah, pray that the, the believers that God would give them the grace they need to continue to be a light in this difficult situation. Um, even like, I can't imagine how it is for them because even myself, I can get, I, I can quickly get on the other side. You know, we're all human. I can very quickly get on the side of this is unjust and I just get mad about, you know, about what's going on. But that's not the answer either. That doesn't bring hope and, and light to anybody. So for in these, in, in these things, definitely pray for the, pray for the believers here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, pray, pray for the yeah. pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I forget the psalm that comes from, but pretty sure it's a psalm. There's a line in there that says, "Pray for the peace of Jerusalem." Definitely pray for this. Uh, not just Jerusalem, obviously, but the entire area here. I don't know what the next couple of weeks will bring, but it's uh, it could look discouraging if we let it. Um, so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah thank you so much um, for for sharing here uh, this morning and uh, it's 7.15 or 7 and so we we will need to to end the call here very shortly Um, were you going to say something there Stephen? No, no, go ahead. Okay. All right. And, um, yeah, so we, we better, we better wrap this call up, but I, I do see uh, a question came in here. Um, and you can just quickly a- a- address this. So maybe from more of this Palestinian Christian standpoint, what happens if you try openly sharing your faith or preach and calling people to repentance in the kingdom? Uh, for like, like for Elijah, like what yeah. is, does he be careful? Um, okay. On the Palestinian side, you know, in the West Bank, um, it's similar to, you know, any other of the Middle Eastern Muslim countries in the sense that, uh, faith, your faith is best shared by relationship, um, and many times, and that's, and, and in many ways, that's a, the appropriate place to share it, uh, by relationship. You know, people that you, you work with, you know, that you're in contact with frequently. And that's really the best place to share it because that's also the place where people can see it. Um, so that, that is generally the, the method used, not, not, uh, what, what, what we might say is street preaching or something like that. Um, that would, uh, there are some groups that have come, that I've seen come through and do that. Uh, 
Um, I don't know what to say. I want to be careful how I answer that because mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's not place for anything like that. Sure. But as, from the standpoint of our organization, it would cause us a lot of issues probably with being here. And so doing that kind of thing isn't really an option for us, actually, if we want to continue sure. trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the land here and encourage the believers. I don't know. Is that answer? Is that answer okay? Yes, absolutely. Um, another question here is, is Gaza hostile towards Western Christians to move to Gaza to live? So, yeah, as a Western Christian, would you go move into Gaza? Is that an option? Um, I would say it's basically not an option um, mm-hmm. from this from this standpoint. Like, I have to get. Okay, I've never researched what the options are coming in from Egypt or how that would work. But if you come in from Israel, it's uh, it's very it's very difficult. You have to get permission from Israel to enter Gaza, and you have to get permission from uh, from Hamas actually because they were the governing body of of Gaza prior to this. And so you have to get both of those permissions, and you're not actually through Israel. Depending on what your visa, what visa you're here on, you actually, I don't think you can get permission from them. So, mm. uh, reporters and news organizations, or, uh, that's not what I meant. Reporters and uh, humanitarian aid organizations, and also, you know, wants their presence to come in because then it can kind of show what's happening, right? Uh, Israel sort of has to let them in in many ways so that it, you know, because they're not going to deal with the problem. If the other aid organizations are going to deal with it, that's, you know, no skin off their back, however you look at that. So it's difficult to be there. I know that there are people, there are, there are a decent amount of dual, dual citizens. So, they would be Arab people who have lived in the U.S. or or other Western countries and have come back to Gaza for one reason or another. Um, there are a fair amount of those, but for for a non-Arab moving into Gaza, uh, short of marrying somebody from Gaza, I would say would be pretty difficult. And or, even that yeah. one probably would actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as us. As far as hostility, though, I, think I sort of heard two questions. I don't. Yeah. I would say, in general, they're not. Actually, one brother told me like this. He said, he said uh, the service, you know, at a restaurant, at a hotel, any any sort of service type thing like that in Gaza, they get so few foreigners or or people coming in that actually have money to spend for a meal at a decent restaurant that the service is very high. So I took that to mean in general, they're accepting of Westerners coming in. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you for that. Um, Sahar, 
from the Netherlands. Uh, thank you for being on here this morning. I'm going to ask you to lead us in a prayer here right shortly, if that's okay with you. Would you be able to do that for us? Uh, you are on mute. I'm kind of popping this on you last minute, and there's a reason um, Sahar would have grown up in Iraq. Um, he would have grown up in a Christian minority there in Iraq, and he understands probably better than maybe a lot of us, most of us on this call, what it's like to be um, a minority, um, to, to grow up in a, in a challenging environment like that. Uh, I've gotten to know Sahar. Uh, he's uh, he's been attending our calls here quite a bit, um, and and also my wife and I have been connecting with he and his wife uh, regularly. Uh, they are seeking to start a kingdom church in the Netherlands. Have been very challenged uh, by their witness and their their vision uh, for the kingdom there. And uh, Sahar, you can say anything that you would like and lead us in prayer. I see you unmuted now. Um, is that is that okay? If you, could could you do that yeah. for us? Thank you, Brother Martin. Can you hear me? We can hear you well. Um, Esther, I was struggling with the microphone, so I had a question, but there's no time anymore, right? No, well, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. Maybe it's not a question. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing about uh, me in the Netherlands. Well, I sometimes uh, struggle with ideas from the Protestant and uh, uh, movements here in this country about fulfilling the prophecies according uh, what's happening in the last year from 1947-48. I wonder how, uh, how should we as a kingdom Christian look at these developments? Mm-hmm. Stephen, so maybe not a good question for today, but I was all only wondering how how do you look at uh, how do, should we look at Christian uh, kingdom people? Yeah, well, that's that's a very important question. I think it matters yeah. a lot in how we and how we respond. It, theology matters, and and, and yeah. how we respond to the situation. Stephen, do you have a thought there? Share. Wow, that is a big topic. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of opinion, opinions in the, I don't know, 90 people or so that are on this call. Um, I, yeah, I don't know what to just say in a couple words, really. You know, we know that the, we, we know that Jesus is the way to salvation. And for me, I've never been big, a big studier of prophecies. Uh, you know, to have a real thorough answer to, to something like this. I, I know that it can also be a very divisive topic. So, I think what I was hoping in this call, you know, in some ways I was hoping to avoid a question like that. But uh, in in this call, I was hoping that we could see the people on either side because it, it, I think it's really people that matter to God. He, he doesn't want any to perish. And, uh, and I think 
for me, I like to I like to stay on that side of this topic. You know, no matter what happens here with Israel as a nation or in the future, you know, New Jerusalem and all of those things, uh, God wants people coming to him. And that's only through Christ. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answers are to what the prophecies could be or should be. I know that there's a lot of, some way, sort of fear mongering that happens around that. Uh, you know, oh, look out, Turkey's siding with Russia now. You know, those kinds of things, and can, can get people kind of all, all anxious and worried. And I don't really think we should be in many ways about this. Um, I think God calls us to bring people to him, you know, to to, uh, to point people to him. And I have a hard time seeing uh, – yeah, maybe I'll leave it at that. I think I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Stephen. And that's that's um, that's a, a really foundational question, Sahar, that here at Strength to Strength would be something that we would care a lot about, um, that people could see um, or could understand that we live in a new covenant, that Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of that old covenant, and we're now living in a new covenant, which is a uh, a new way of God working uh, with the world. Um, David Berceau says this very well. He says the ancient kingdom of Israel, which was predominantly earthly, was not intended as an end in itself. It was meant to be a tutor leading the Israelites to something far greater, a kingdom that was truly not to be of this world. And so um you can obviously understand where, where I'm at uh, on this. There is a, we had a teaching here, Sahar, on strength to strength, uh, probably a year ago on, on dispensationalism, which really is a, an innovation, a new teaching in the last couple hundred years that, that, uh, would have, would have drove tons of people to get behind the creation of the current state of Israel, uh, which again, earthly kingdoms do these kind of things. I'm not here, um, God works with earthly nations and he calls them even servants of his. And so as a follower of Christ, um, I, and as I want to encourage myself and also others to let the nations of these people, uh, nations of this earth go and focus on our new nation, right? Which is calling all people, um, as, as Paul said, you know, Jew or Gentile, um, yeah. into, into this way of Christ. And through that, we become part of Abraham's seed. Um, so it is a it is a fulfillment of the old. The monument is here. Jesus is here. Um, this new kingdom is here. And so, but yeah, good good question. Maybe we can um, dig into that some more at some point in the future. Thank you. Yeah, Thank if you could lead us in there, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Heavenly Father. We thank you for your goodness, for your calling, for the gospel of the kingdom. You call us from all nations and because you loved all the world. 
your people you have chosen to serve you, to serve King Jesus. And I thank you for strength to strength and for the brother who shared with us from Israel. Please protect him. Yes, Father. Protect her. Protect our brother, sister, and and Palestine and Israel, both sides, because yes. there are and, and the difficulties there. And I pray for the Israelis and the, for Hamas, for Arabs, or for Muslims. Please, would you show yourself to them too, that they might see the the heavenly kingdom and not the earthly nationalistic kingdom. And uh, we pray that uh, we have the wisdom and the uh, the right wisdom to see all these things and uh, protect your people and give us the attitudes to love the enemy, even if it's very difficult, especially in our brothers and sisters in Palestine. Would you go with us this day and uh, bless every brother and every sister and build your kingdom in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Sahar. I really appreciate Thank that. And someday we'll have to have you on and have you share your testimony and also and your, your vision for, for kingdom churches in the Netherlands. Yeah. So, Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. Thank yeah. you all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time about the call up here. Um, again, Stephen, thank you so much for sharing with us. God bless you in a special way as you choose to stay there and work with our brothers and sisters there and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord willing, in two weeks, we'll, we'll be back here again. Um, we'll be having a brother coming to us from Southeast Asia, um, talking about the first great commission. And we'll look forward to seeing you then. Grace and peace. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. <laughs>